Our Old Testament passage today actually finishes the book of Nehemiah. You know, it's amazing how quickly we finish these books when you just read consistently. You can see how you make it through the whole Bible in one year. So Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places. All right, so we have a dedication of a project. Now, why were the Levites in their places? Well, remember, the Levites lived in the cities of refuge. They had their own cities plus a few others, etc., etc. But the Levites had their own cities that they lived in, and then they would come to Jerusalem when it was their turn to do their responsibilities in the temple. To bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, with singing, with cymbals and harps and lyres. All right, so we have joyful music. We have joyful music with instruments. Now, this is important today because it's amazing how many people want to take instruments out of the church and they want to sing a cappella or they don't like cymbals because they're too noisy or they don't like harps and they don't like the stringed instruments they just like the wind instruments you know folks there needs to be instruments in the house of god and the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding jerusalem and from the villages of the nethophites and from beth gilgal and from the region of geba and asmava for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. If they were not serving in the temple, they had their own homes to live in. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up unto the wall and appointed two great choirs <laughs> to give thanks. One went to the south on the wall and one to the dung gate. All right, two I jump when the mosquito thing goes off. All right, two great choirs. And they sang together. And after them went Hoshahiah, half the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain other priest's sons with trumpets. I like that. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mathaniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zakur, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azrael, Melali, Gilali, Mai, Nathaniel, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. Wow. So David's instruments still used. How were these preserved? I have no idea, but remember he made them of very special wood too. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs to the city of David, at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. And the other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half the people. And on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad gate, and above the gate of Ephraim, and the gate of Yeshanah, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hanel, and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate, and they came to halt at the gate of the guard. 
So both choirs who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me stood in the two great choirs. <laughs> Sister Bell would like this, these two monstrous choirs. And the priests, Elikem, Asiah, Minamin, Micaiah, Elonai, Zechariah, Haniah, with trumpets, and Messahiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzi, Jonathan, Makahashah, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with Jezrehiah as their leader. All right, so the singers sang with their leader. All right, so there was a leader for singers. We would call that a choir director. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. Now, why did they rejoice? For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. <laughs> did you know that God will make you rejoice? God will fill you with such great joy that you just rejoice. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes. So, all right, so tithing is again under a foreign king. They still had to pay their taxes to the foreign king, and they're bringing the tithe to God's house. To gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites, according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. Now, here's a passage I always teach to pastors. The people make it easy for the people to tithe. How do you make it easy for the people to tithe? Because they rejoice over the spiritual leaders. They look at us and they see that we're working hard. I'd say working hard. I'd say living right. I'd say full heart for ministry. All these people were doing, all these priests and Levites were doing it was right. And the people rejoiced over them. Now, pastors, I know you say, well, you know, when the people tithe, then I'll work harder. No. And I know the people say when the pastors work harder, I'll tithe. No. It doesn't work like that. Just like, you know, a woman says, I'll be a better wife when my husband's a better husband. And the husband says, I'll be a better husband when my wife is a better wife. It doesn't work like that. But I would tell, because I'm a pastor, I would tell the pastors, if you work hard, the people rejoice in their tithing. They rejoice in their tithing. You know, uh, pastors ask me all the time, why is it that COP are such faithful tithers? It's not because we beat them up and we don't teach on it that much. Okay, I think once a year or so I'll teach on tithing. It's because our people see how hard the pastors work and they see that we make sure that we live right and when pastors don't live right, they go bye-bye. And we expect our pastors to have a full, enthusiastic heart for the ministry. And if they don't, they go bye-bye. You know, we, we police our own ranks, so to speak. We, we make sure that we live like that. And when the, the people see you working hard and the people see honest, you know, accounting and we, we show people the funds, the people rejoice to be able to bring the tithe. You should make it a happy thing for people to obey God. Let me say that again, pastors. 
People don't tithe because you berate them into it. They should be rejoicing over the leadership so that they do it with a great heart. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and of his son Solomon. All right, so David and Solomon both laid out what we call today Davidic worship. So Solomon had some things to do in this also. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. All the giving was done properly. So not only did the people give, but also the leaders gave. Spiritual leaders also gave. Oh, the devil is 
Our New Testament passage today picks up in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. Paul said, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Yeah. So you have to understand, not only did he see Jesus when he was on the Sanhedrin, but he saw Jesus for that three years in the deserts of Arabia, where he was taught by Jesus the gospel. He said, are you not my workmanship in the Lord? Now, again, Paul was a very humble man, but he didn't mind looking at people and saying, now, wait a minute, you are my workmanship. I've been a skilled master builder. You are my workmanship in the Lord. I've been building your spiritual lives. If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. You're the proof of it. What has been produced in your life and accomplished in your life is the seal, the proof of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. You know, there's always people running around saying preachers are phony. In Paul's day, can you imagine people examining Paul, people criticizing Paul, people challenging Paul's calling, people challenging Paul's walk with God? He said, you know, this is my defense. Go, go look at what I've produced. He said, do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles? So, all right, it's okay to marry for ministry. And the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. So Peter was married James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, was married. You know, it's amazing how something gets into people's heads and they don't, they don't see it in the scripture. We have a right as pastors, we have a right as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to take along a believing wife, not an unbelieving wife. We don't go out and choose some pretty girl who doesn't love Jesus, a believing wife. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Now, again, here's this problem of patronage that we've been talking about in the evening services. When it came to supporting himself in Corinth, Paul refrained from taking their money. He said, we worked for a living. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law, the law of Moses, say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It is written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from among you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not have even more? Now, again, there are people today that believe all pastors should live in poverty. See, I'm not one of those. You know, a man talked to me many years ago, and he said, Pastor Summerall, you know, you don't, you don't act like the monks. I said, I'm not a monk. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a Buddhist monk walking around with a bowl begging. No, we, we plow in hope. We thresh in hope. 
We've sown spiritual things among God's people. And so, yeah, we, we receive a harvest. We, we are also materially blessed. Now, there are some Christians that really struggle with that, but, you know, Paul really got in their face about it. He said, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Why? Because we endure anything. Now, notice this right. This is a right of ministry. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Now, this obstacle is because of their culture of patronage. He said, because of the culture of this place, I'm not going to take anything. You know, I've been that way in some places. There are many places in the world, very large churches, where because of their culture, when they try to give me an offering, I say, no, thank you. I'm just, I'm just so happy to be able to do this for you. So why would you do that, Pastor? You have a right, but sometimes you don't exercise that right because you have a greater goal that you're trying to accomplish. Do you not though know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. This is pastoral support. This is why as a church, we, we support our pastors beautifully. We're getting ready to buy another set of cars for pastors. We're getting ready to purchase the homes for the retirement of some of our, our longer serving pastors. And, and you know what? There are going to be people who really get upset with us about it. And you know what? Get over it. Okay. They should get their living from the gospel. He said, but I have not made use of any of these rights. Now notice these are rights. This is twice we see this. This is a right. He said, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. He said, you know what? You people got in my face when I first came there and you looked down your nose at me. And you know what? I just made up my mind that as long as I'm here, I'll take care of myself. Thank you. <laughs> I like Paul. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for it is a necessity laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge. What is my reward? so as to not make use of my right, there's that word again, my right in the gospel. He said, you know what? This is a reward for me. Now, other places, Paul went, he accepted their support and they helped him pioneer churches. Paul was like a, a traveling pastor who opened churches and other churches helped him start new works. And he said, you know what? I've done that other places, but I'm not doing it here. Because among you, I decided I'm going to present it free of charge. Again, this goes back to this culture of patronage thing. Because under the culture of patronage, the, 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 the plebeians, as I've been teaching in the evening service, the plebeians supported the patrons. And the patrons, you know, forgive me, it, it, was, a, it was a dual controlling situation. Say, well, how is it controlling? Because Jesus says a man's heart follows his money. 
That's what Jesus said. When you're giving your money to somebody, your heart's following you. This, this is why there are preachers that love to go around and take personal offerings from people because it keeps people's loyal because they don't want to admit they've been sticking their money someplace that wasn't a good place to stick it. Your heart, your emotions, your desires follow your money. And Paul saw that this is a controlling situation as expressed in Corinth. The, the, the patrons or the spiritual leaders, the super apostles were controlling the people. And because the people gave them money, the people felt that they had a right to control also. So Paul said, you know what? I'm not going to get involved in that. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant of all, that I might win more of them. I like that. He said, I made myself a slave to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not my being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means... I might save some. Paul said, you know what? I can sit down in a synagogue and talk to people that are devout followers of the Mosaic law. He said, you know what? I can talk to people that have never even heard the name of Moses. I, I can become all things to all people. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them its blessings. Ah, Paul said, you know what? What I want you to understand are the blessings that are imparted in the gospel. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run so that you can obtain it. Wow. Young pastors get a hold of that. Leaders get a hold of that. Only one wins the prize. Run to obtain it. In other words, push for excellence in Jesus' name. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. All right, so we want to pursue excellence. We want to exercise self-control. I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. We want to live focused, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now here's four truths for every leader. Pursue excellence. Exercise self-control. Live a focused life. Focus life and efforts. Every effort needs to accomplish something. We don't waste our strength. We don't waste our life. And we live a disciplined life. Incredible, incredible truth. But let's let's get into a little bit of wisdom with Proverbs today. Again, we're dealing with wisdom speaks. All right, so again, this is wisdom speaks. When he established the heavens, wisdom said, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made the firm, the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, now notice when he made firm the skies above, this is the atmosphere. When he made the atmosphere firm so that the oxygen stayed in and we could live, 
when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit. This is in Genesis 1, when God established the boundaries so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. This is wisdom. All right, we're going to close there today. Tonight, we'll see you at 7 o'clock. And I probably, I'm probably going to teach you some more about prayer tonight. We'll see you then.